Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, they're athletes who've been singed by the Olympic flame. We'll talk about the melodrama of athletic competition in the podcast anthology, Torched. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and the gold medal winner of my heart, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. And when I got on that podium... And we got married, and they played the national anthem as the flag Dumb. raised. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was so, it was, I, I was, it felt so patriotic. All right. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good evening, Rebecca. Well, Laura, did you get one of the new uh, Laura Bricker merch items from our store? The t-shirt that says, I learned that in cat detective school? Oh, yes, I did. And it uh, hopefully will be here by the time of our next taping. I'm very excited. You can get phone cases, bags. I was kind of hoping I could get like a big thing for the wall, like a canvas print. Oh, you as can. Well. Yeah, you can get that. By the way, I was I was going to suggest that, that you get it in one of those notebooks. So it'd mm. be like the cover of the oh. notebook. It would seem like you're keeping your clues, just like in Blue's Clues. I have an idea. Oh. <laughs> just like in Blue's Clues. I don't often say that like we should just like send a piece of like free swag to one of our fans. Then don't. I'm going to say it this time. All right. I'm going to propose that we all get together and pool our money. And by we, I mean just you and me, Kevin. And we send a piece of I learned that in Cat Detective School merch to our listener, Carol Baskin. What do you think? <gasps> oh. Would that oh, not be God. awesome? I bet there's an address for her cat sanctuary, and I bet that, you know, if she got a package there, I bet that she has, like, a metal detector that can check in for explosives. Yeah. And then I bet that she would probably enjoy a piece of Larbricker merch. I think we should go ahead and do that. Yeah. I might send her a book, too. All right. Let's put together Mm -hmm. a little box for her. Let's do it. Yeah, it's too warm to get get her a sweatshirt down in Florida, right? No, it's too warm. Okay. All right, let's get it done. Let's definitely do that. Also with us is our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Toby, what do you think of my Carol Baskin merch idea? Is that like a good idea? 
I think it's a wonderful idea. Do you have any other ideas for sending customized merch to any of our special fans? Um, <laughs> it's a lot of you're putting a lot of pressure on me to come I think up we with something. Should, we could send something to Wyrek and make sure he's still alive out in California. <laughs> I mean, I think that he needs to go to cat detective school to add to his resume. All right, guys, we are so cash negative on this episode right now. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is not an empire, guys. We are a podcast being made in a basement. We got to scale <laughs> it back. <laughs> We're not gold medal winners. All right. Well, speaking of, we should probably just get into our review. Should we get that done? Do it. All right. I know firsthand what it's like to put it all on the line. I've witnessed what happens to extraordinary humans under extraordinary amounts of pressure. Some people rise to the occasion. Some people fall. Just in time for the Winter Olympics, the podcast Torched recalls some of the most controversial moments surrounding the Games, like the 1998 Canadian snowboarder who failed a marijuana test after nabbing gold. Like, oh my God, I just like dedicated my whole life to do this, and now it's just being ripped away from me. You know, it was kind of like a death in the family. Or when time expired in the 1972 gold medal basketball game with the U.S. in the lead before officials inexplicably put three more seconds on the clock to allow the Soviets to sink the winning basket. So when all of that took place, we went to the dressing room and extremely frustrated. And all of a sudden, I don't know who said it. And to this day, nobody realizes who said it. We said, I'm not going to take that silver medal. And all of a sudden, well, I'm not either. None of us decided to go out and accept that silver medal. Hosted by former skier and noted poker game runner Molly Bloom, Torched from Film Nation Entertainment is an anthology podcast looking at a different kind of human drama of athletic competition. Each episode features a story of scandal, disgrace, and sometimes redemption. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Torched. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Kevin, I want to just point out something about this podcast that is interesting to me. Okay. All of these stories are incredibly visual, right? The plays in a basketball game, the dive Mm -hmm. off a diving board, the way a snowboard race works. Right. I think, and I don't know if it's because Molly Bloom was an athlete herself, what, she was a mogul skier, correct? Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, And I know that, you know, there's a production team around her, but I also know she's producer of this podcast. I think the writing of the descriptions of these events is incredibly clean and incredibly visual, and I am actually able to see these events as they unfold, case in point, what actually happened in that basketball game. The players set up on the court. The refs blow the whistle. The Soviet passer throws a long pass, and it's deflected. That's when the buzzer sounds, and the Americans erupt. 50-49, the U.S. wins. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. We're somewhat at a disadvantage in podcasting because we can't see the sports, which are, yeah, I mean, the whole visual aspect of it is, is what creates the urgency. Because it's not just, like, who comes in first place. It isn't just sort of a play-by-play in that sense. Because there's larger context, so to point out certain things, you know, it's not just enough to say, and then the referee came out, and then somebody else ran out. She takes her time to explain, you know, why that was, you know, a breach of the rules and this whole other thing. It's actually a, a story of the Olympics that I'd never heard of, and 
I was able to follow along very, very easily. Yeah, and, and the way the snowboarding race works and the way that Greg Luganis's dive is executed a certain way, you can imagine like his body in the air, like it's beautifully described. And that is very difficult for me, writing to accomplish. Have you seen a clip of that basketball play? I have now because I looked it up after. Because I, I, I think she basically does a good job. I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't think that part was particularly good. She, she didn't talk about some of the stuff that people were actually angry about. By the way, am, am I the only person among you who's seen Molly's Game, the movie? No, I saw it. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to note is, first of all, how much Jessica Chastain's vocal impression of Molly Bloom, like how accurate it is, because I just kept seeing Jessica Chastain the entire time I'm listening to this podcast. I, I 100% like in my mind, I was like, "Oh, you know, Jennifer Chastain is uh, <laughs> is, is like reading this to me." It's really yep. incredible. Um, but also like trying to separate the story of her running this poker ring from her from her doing this podcast. Like, if you've seen that movie, and you know that story. Like, she comes from this incredibly interesting background, this incredibly accomplished family. Her brother's an NFL athlete like her her other brothers were like a surgeon he's a, yeah he's a mass general and then she was an olympic athlete and then they just think very big in this family so i don't know I, it's just it's a very very interesting background and you know to hear her tell this story like just i'm curious of your thoughts of her as a host generally toby because it's very interesting to me like having this background of her generally i first hear her name in this podcast and i'm like oh is that molly bloom molly bloom yeah, so I think my, my feeling about this whole thing is that the first episode, which is the basketball one, I did not think was very good. And then after that, the next three, they're basically interviews. They're like episode-long interviews with some enhancements, but it, you know, you get the feeling that she's maybe doing some narrative from stuff that came up in the interviews, just so it's just not a straight interview show. And I think that's where she's really strong. Like I think she's a pretty good interviewer, of these athletes and she i guess understands the sort of the the thought process of being on that level of an athlete and the dedication and the work that's put in and all this stuff so she seems to be able to get to things that are pretty interesting even just beyond sort of the controversial stories that that are sort of the backbone of this show but just to get them to talk about, you know, their training and performance and what it's like after you win and, and, and these kinds of things. So I, I listened to the first one and I was like, oh, God, I don't know. And then I thought the next three were, were all pretty strong. And I think that largely was because of her interviewing. Do you think that the 72 Olympics is just a difficult Olympics to talk about, period, because of what happened in Munich? Like, it's like there was a moment where she was like, this isn't a political podcast, so we can't talk about this. Yeah. And it's just it's very hard to, to walk that line because this is an interesting story. But you either have to go all in on the basketball thing or really like do enough of the background of the Munich uh, story to really do it, but they sort of did this half measure thing and just made it, it was a hard, it was a hard line to walk, right? Yeah, well, I thought, I mean, that was, there were two big problems I thought with, with that episode. One is that it's, the 72 Olympics was when the Israeli athletes were, were killed by Black September uh, terrorists. So then it's a little bit hard to talk about how high the stakes were in this basketball game when just days before you had athletes that were murdered so that's a little bit weird. But then the other thing, and I think that's why the other episodes are so strong because they're mostly interviews, is that 
I didn't get the feeling there was a ton of research done on this. It seems like they find people to talk to, but she kind of hints at, well, there was this Bulgarian referee who somebody said they were talking and they said that something bad would happen to their family if, if the Soviets didn't win, but there's no follow-up on it. Yeah. And then she talks about how like one of the most popular Russian movies ever was a movie about that basketball game, but from the Russian perspective where they're the heroes. And I was like, well, that sounds super interesting to me. Like, Tell me more. What is that? What what goes on in that movie? But they just leave it at that. Yeah. So I think there's a bunch of problems with the first one and including the sort of facts of 1972. But I, I again, I think it righted itself. Do you think the first episode tried to do too much, Kevin? Because I agree. The no. first episode is formatically very different than the next three. No, I mean, I, th- I think it did that well. It didn't ignore the terrorist attack at Munich. And they're just coming out and saying it. This is not going to be about that. You know, it's hard. It's but we have to separate it because our story is about this basketball game. But it acknowledges that, and it does give some context about the different uh, memorial events that the players went to and whatnot. It could have done other things, I suppose. It could have ignored it, you know, altogether. It could have just said, "Yeah, that was the Olympics where the you know with these Palestinian terrorists came and killed a bunch of uh, Israeli athletes." Anyway, over back at the basketball court, it could have done that too. But I, I thought that. I got enough of that of the context of the of the time and sort of the geopolitical tensions that were playing out there, you know, and it, it told a story that I didn't know about. Now, Laura, I have to ask you a question about this basketball team. So they had this situation where rules were broken. They should have won the game. They didn't win the game. It sounds like the game was rigged in multiple ways. They didn't accept their medals, and their medals have never been accepted, and they sort of have this, like, pact, I guess. Um, they basically agreed they're not going to take their medals, even though this one guy, Tom McMillan, has said he would be willing, but no one else is, so they basically all basically they're not going to take their medals. What about you? Would you leave your medals in that uh, Swiss vault forever if you were in the situation? Would you just leave your silver medal there forever? Well, I mean, I am rather stubborn and um, (laughs) a lot of times that backfires on me. So I probably would have left my medals out there in the safe. But at the same time, I probably shouldn't have. I mean, at some point, I understand, you know, this is we're holding the line and this is a, a matter of principle. But at some point, how many years ago was that? I mean, some medal is better than no medal. At some point, maybe it's time to kind of I say that, but yet if it was me, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm going to hold out until I die. I don't know. When I, when I won my Emmy, I took everything that came with it. The gift oh, bag, the, the coffee to, like, cake. drop a name. The Boston coffee cake that I got <laughs> as part Ooh, of. He, how was that coffee trophy. cake? Oh, my God. It was amazing. It was delicious. <laughs> I'm like, give it, I want all of it. Give it all to me. Okay. I was not going to protest anything. Speaking of that uh, regional Emmy that you won, just going to say it. Don't, I do put it behind me. Don't put down me. my Emmy. By the way, I don't. I just call it an Emmy, and you're the one who's always like, it's a regional Emmy. I'm like, it's a fucking Emmy, Kevin. It's an Emmy Award, yes. I put it behind me on Zoom calls all the time. I'm always trying to put it behind me. Whenever, whenever I like have a Zoom call with someone important, I'm like, I'm, can I just borrow that Emmy for a sec? I just need it for my background. <laughs> yeah, most people put photos of their kids. <laughs> Kevin, I just I didn't want to go back to one thing we were talking about a second ago. Yeah, uh, Molly Bloom is known for something else, not known for being a host of a podcast about sports. Can you just talk a little bit about that that, that well, transition? Yeah, I mean, it's always kind of hit or miss when you have a host that's, 
you know, famous for something other than being a host or a journalist or something like that. And women are probably criticized more for it than men, which is probably unfair. But probably, I fe- yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think when I think about bunga bunga, I don't, I don't know if that's the patriarchy saying that was a little weird or not. But in any event, I found Molly to be very good. And I wanted to hear more of her in the interviews. I know that she just wasn't handed a script because we do hear her giving a little back and forth with Greg Louganis, right? So we know that she did some of this news gathering, some of these interviews herself. And I kind of like that. I think Toby said something similar about how sort of her presence in this is, is good. She can really carry the conversation and produce something. And maybe she's getting, uh, you know, a great amount of assistance from the producers and the sports staff. That's what they're there for. But she seems to be up to the task. Listen, if you watch Molly's game and you read the book and anything, you know, she's just fine. She can handle herself just fine. <laughs> she probably doesn't need a lot of assistance. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, speaking of passing the torch. <laughs> Are we? I don't know if we were actually speaking. Let's do some, get some business out of the way. All right, it's business time. Play that music. It's business time. Hey, right now on Patreon, you can get the latest episode of Leave It to Bricker. Leave It to Bricker? Yeah. This one is entitled Boobs on the Bar. Of course it is. Why is it called that? Uh, Laura, do you want to explain? I don't, I'm curious your take on this, Kevin, because I've explained this to a lot of people in town this week. Um, okay, what, what so- was your take? So apparently somebody showed up at Lara's favorite bar and took her out. Her her boobies? Her boobies. Somebody took them out. Yes, them. 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 And put them on the bar. The ladies. And so, of course, once Lara Bricker hears this, it's all she can fucking think about for the next month, right? That's right. Lara's She's got to find out. And I'll tell you, she goes, first she talks with her friends about this, yes. and they, said they, they watched her uh, interrogate... The bartender? Yes. Who is there? Yes. And Laura finds out all the tea. Yes. All the tea. All. Literally. Yes. Yes. There Are- is a point where I think I scream, the truth is happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you're like QAnon, except in your town, except it's actually true. By the way, I think this is like <laughs> the third boob-themed 
Leave it to Bricker episode. I think huh. we need to have a talk with her the about- The boob storm is coming. The boob storm. We are the storm. <laughs> wow. I'm going to take Toby on my next boob investigation. Okay. Toby's right. busy do- putting together the, uh, the deep dive book club. Uh, last week, we uh, dropped uh, Toby's latest episode, which was covering the book, These Are Not Gentle People. Toby, remind us, who was on the podcast with you? Uh, it was Maggie Freeling, who needs no introduction, She's and famous. Chris Joyner. Who does? Who actually has <laughs> a... What? Who does need an introduction? Well, Mike, maybe people don't live in Atlanta and read the Journal-Constitution, maybe. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> <laughs> He's got a book out called The Three Death Sentences of Clarence Henderson that people like. It's gotten really good reviews. But yeah, so the two of them were on. We had a really interesting discussion about this sort of horrendous crime in South Africa that kind of reads like it happened decades ago, but it was actually 2018. Yeah. Man, it sounds like it happened in the, the 1870s here in the U.S., like construction, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yep. Uh, the more things change, hmm. blah, blah, blah. By the way, uh, watch on Patreon because we're going to be making an announcement about the next Married With podcast. <gasps> we're going to do it live. Oh, it's going to be like a show. Live on Crowdcast. People can watch. They can ask their own questions. Come on, give their own advice. We love it when we do it that way. Do I have to dress up? Uh, no. Do I have to wear lipstick? No. I will do both anyway. Oh, great. I never get a chance to do either one of those things. All right, Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Juvie Lucina and Kika Davis. Bless you. And thus ends... The business section. The business section. I'm going to fade that music on out right now. All right, let's talk about some of these other stories because you can't deny that they are interesting. So Ross Rebagliati was a Canadian snowboarder sort of in the the beginning age of snowboarding. And I will confess, I do know about him because when I learned how to snowboard in the early 90s, I did learn how to snowboard from a racing snowboarder. I learned how to snowboard on a racing snowboard. Mm -hmm. And I did actually follow the first Olympics where the snowboard racing happened. And I remember this. Olympics very well and I didn't smoke pot in the 90s when I learned how to snowboard but literally every snowboarder I snowboarded with did is very much part of the culture not a big fucking deal definitely not a performance enhancing drug in any way but this was you know a story where it wasn't a banned substance at the time and it it's sort of the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. And it's sort yeah. of like it was sort of it really spoke to just sort of the culture of like putting a winner and taking somebody's story and putting them up there and then taking a thing. And it's like the stain. And it was almost like um, the sport of itself was kind of a joke. And this sort of like inflated the joke. Right. And this this was like an opportunity to take something that people weren't taking seriously anyway and being like, see, so, Laura, I'm just curious to know what you thought of this story. I mean, you're you're part of ski culture. I'm sure you have your own feelings about snowboarders. Uh, as, I mean, <laughs> as you I, I grew up in Vermont. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I thought that was that was really interesting. Obviously, we go to the backstory of how at the time when he started this, you know, nobody was doing it, and you know, he finally found like one camp in like Whistler where they were doing a snowboarding camp. And I, and I get it. I get that there was, you know, the testing and the rules and all that. But the fact that he lands in like a freaking Japanese prison and it's like weed, really? 
if anything, it's going to slow him down. So I guess I, I, to me, it's not a performance enhancing drug. It's not like when you watch like the Kentucky Derby and they're like, oh, we're testing for Lasix to make sure none of these, these racehorses have had Lasix because that's going to make them be able to do X, Y, and Z and, and be faster and have better lung capacity or whatever. In this case, it's like, dude, hold my snowboard. Yeah. You know, it's like... <laughs> well, the one um, thing the one thing it can do, though, is make you less afraid. I mean, I will say that, yeah, like, that yeah. would Take be... Take away your, yeah, reservation. Yeah. That's why I think you'd have to be, like, uh, on the, the bobsled. I'm just going to get in, put my head down. It's okay. I don't care what, what happens. <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody was thinking that he was actually high while he was... No. Doing it. I mean, it was something wow. that happened while he was still in Canada. It and was then tiny, a tiny it, amount in his system. It showed up in his urine at a at a level that's like one tenth of what they tested for soon after. It was right. just like a ridiculous, you know, trace. What did you guys think of the scene where he's at the Japanese police station and they they sort of ask like, "Well, what do you do with the marijuana?" And he showed them. And he showed. It's like, how do you? What do you do with it? Do you? Took it out of the cigarette, and he's like, this is what you do with the marijuana. And at one point, the, the cop is like, how do you smoke weed? Like, they didn't really know anything about it. And I, like, I took his cigarette, one of his cigarettes, and I licked it, and I broke it open, and then I rolled it back up again into a joint. I'm like, that's how, that's how we smoke a joint. The one thing I will say about the episode, I mean, there's a nod to it at the end, but... You know, he's talking about the present day track stars who've been banned and stigmatized for, you know, weed. And they talk about it being racialized and there and there and there being a, a racist component to it. And I, I think that to some extent, maybe the episode doesn't underline enough the fact that he was able to I mean, he's fine. I mean, he isn't able to come to the United States. That's not great. But it seems like he is fine. He was able to continue on in his sport. The thing that thing I think is interesting about certain sports, like, I mean, I guess this is probably true with a runner, too. You can become a running coach. But like the career a snowboarder can have, it seems like you can be a teacher. You can own a shop. You can like it just seems like he's fine. In a way, and I don't know, I, I just, I, I kind of feel like there was a, a nod to the racism of it without really, you know, it, I don't know. There was a kind of surface to me, that story, but it was it was interesting. How weird is it that he can't come to the U.S., though? It's weird. Like, at this date? He can't visit his mother? <laughs> because he had 0.17 nanograms or whatever it's, the hell it was. It's weird. It's definitely 17 weird. years ago? It's... Was he ever convicted criminally for drugs? No, I don't think so. No, no. He I don't was, think so. I, I mean, why. they kind of threatened him with it. And then people were like, yeah, you can't do that, man. Plus, people at the Olympic Village just drink their faces off. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. This guy's got a little secondhand pot smoke, but these, but, you know. Bodie Miller's like, oh, that's precious. Yeah. Yeah. Bodie Miller's like, that's adorable. Yeah. It's like, you got to come here and party that's at the adorable. Olympic level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, do you remember when Greg Luganis smacked his head on that diving board? Oh, yeah. Um, so here- You know, it, I got to say that is, looking back, I'm trying to remember if he was famous before that. Yes, he was. That's what I thought. But it was kind of like- uh, I remember seeing him in the he? Olympics before that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that he, that yeah. dude was a machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He just dominant. But it's such a, you know, a, a strange ending to his, uh, his professional story. Right. You know, that that's what happened- yeah, man, it looked pain- <laughs> it looked painful. Yeah. Well, I think I think the dilemma that his story raises and I think that it's very much about the time, 1988, right? Is 
you know, he didn't tell that doctor in the moment who wasn't wearing gloves that he was Mm -hmm. HIV positive, right? It's very easy in 2022 to say that was a bad decision, like to be in the privacy of that room and say, hey, doc, like, don't sew me up without gloves on, but there were no gloves. Mm -hmm. But then also realize in 1988, knowing that anything could happen to you at the time, your career could be over if you said something different than what you said. I mean, the deer in headlights moment, the shame he felt, the the punishment he put himself through, and then hearing that the doctor himself understood later, it is a complicated story. Laura, what was your reaction to hearing Greg Luganis's own words talking to Molly Bloom about his story? He was in an abusive relationship in, in the context of time and space. He thought he was going to die after, you know, this Olympics. Yeah. I honestly, I feel like this episode to me was was one of the stronger episodes because a lot of the other ones to me sort of felt like when you watch the Olympics and and they're like killing time between um, different events and you're getting a recap of a past Olympics. But this one to me, I felt like the interview was good with him. He was honest and it was something that you could listen to and, and you could really relate to that he's he's coming out at a time that, you know, this is new. He's got AIDS. You know, we hear Barbara Walters interviewing him and we hear her reaction. And and Barbara Walters is so like nothing faces her, but you can actually hear when she's listening to parts of this when she's asking him questions and she's like, Oh You know, he's not just a doctor. And he's fine. And he's fine. But you didn't know that for six years. No. Greg. The way Barbara reacts when she says Greg. It's as if she instantly understood the weight Greg must have been carrying around all those years. Do you think she was sympathizing with him or shaming him a little bit when she said, oh, Greg? I thought that sounded um, a little judgy to No, me. I thought that she was sympathizing, saying, like, Greg, you needn't have felt, you know, been I so upset she, with yourself uh, about this. I thought it was an oh, Greg. I thought she was being sympathetic, but I think that was partly the context of how it was set up. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I think that this to me was one of those things of how far we've come, how bad it was, how far we've not come, but also listening to him recounting this now. And I think she, she you know, she's describing what he looks like now and that he's and you hear his his voice now and he's still he still sounds young and, and you know, peppy and all that stuff. But it's also looking at the context of I'm an Olympic athlete, which is already a huge fucking deal of pressure and anxiety and expectations. And then on top of that, I'm gay and I have AIDS. And trying to, you know, function with all of that information at a time when like half of that information is information that is not necessarily acceptable to be totally public with. And then having this situation play out where you are being treated and and not speaking up at the time and that way that that just weighs upon him. And it was, I just thought this episode was to me probably the best episode of this whole podcast series so far, because it felt like I actually took something new away from it in terms of listening to the conversation, as opposed to just sort of like recounting like sports highlights that I could probably pull up in any other venue. Toby, were you surprised to hear that Greg Luganis was an outsider in the diving community? I mean, he wasn't he was in the closet. I mean, the diving community didn't know that he was gay. And I know that that was a secret that he was keeping, but he was dominant. And usually like the person who's dominant in their sport. I mean, sometimes they're an outsider. People are jealous, but that didn't sound like it was the case. It just sounded like he was shunned 
for other reasons. And that, frankly, that surprised me. Did you know, is that something that you knew about? Uh, I didn't know about it. Although I think, you know, who knows? I mean, it might be jealousy. I thought when he talks about how he saw it as a performance rather than as a competition, like that might've been hard for coaches to kind of wrap their heads around. Like that was his approach. That's just a guess. But that is a very different way of looking at it, right? Maybe it seemed like he didn't care like as much about the stakes. Well, but then, you know, I think it, you know, in some people's mind, it's sort of pure, right? It's like, I'm not here to like beat those five guys. I'm here to perform these amazing dives to the best of my ability. And when you're Greg Luganis and you do that, like you're probably going to win, but that's almost like a byproduct of the fact that you're, you're performing, you're doing this thing that you can do as well as you can. So I, I don't know. That that was kind of my take on it. There's this weird little bit of writing where they, they, they make this, they made that big point, which I thought was really interesting about the performance versus competition. And then later on, she talks to her narration and talks about like he continued to compete. I can't remember what the exact phrase was, but it just like, it, it was just kind of jarring because she used the word compete or competing or whatever to describe what Luganus was doing and I was thinking, you know, if an editor had just gone through that and been like, you know, that should be perform, like that sort of makes the whole thing consistent and, and sort of emphasizes that point. Anyway, I know it's nitpicking, but that's a, that, that kind of like was sort of a stopper for me. Yeah, in some no, ways. I agree. Like the editing in this was not perfect. There were definitely some moments where it stood out to me because in some places the writing was so clean and good, yep. like in describing the Luganus dive when, when, then when it wasn't. I was like, oh, wow, what a, like that, it should have just been like that it was before, like it definitely stuck out. Um, Kevin, extra textual question. Yeah. Do you agree with me that Greg Luganis is one of the best looking people of all time? Oh, yeah. Have you seen a recent photo yes. of him? <laughs> yeah, just, like, just white hair, but it looks exactly the same. Yeah, For he God's well. sakes, I, I did look him up after Molly Bloom did mention that he looks, I think she said something about how he doesn't look, he looks like he's still in great shape or yeah. something like that. I had to take a little looky for myself and um, she's right. He is still just as fine as he was back in the <laughs> late 80s. All right, Greg, good for you, man. Good for you. Um, so I just want to touch on the Kaylee Humphreys story briefly. This is somebody who uh, switched countries because her coach was a bully. Kevin, yeah. would you switch countries because your coach was a bully? Yes or no? I'd switch teams, but I guess in this situation, you, no you represent choice. your country. So, yeah, I mean, good on her for, I mean, and this, by the way, this isn't just any athlete, right? Yeah. This is, this Downhill is. Downhill skier. She's like the most accomplished bobsledder, you know, on, on the Canadian team. So she's a legend there, right? Yeah. World and champion. No, like times. If, if anybody could say, well, you know, it's going to be, it's me or the coach. She might have the juice to do that. I was surprised that. The Canadians, who are usually so very polite, my friends who are Canadians, <laughs> are really trying to stick it to her. Yes, with this MMA. Still, yeah. I, I wish that they had responded to the requests. I wish we had heard something from somebody with some more of the story, because it, it really was, you know, we. I believe yeah, her. Some, I, someone I, knows something. I believe her. I would have loved to hear a, a second person 
not corroborate, but I would have loved to hear a second voice in the podcast sort of talk about another experience they had. Mm, yeah. Only because I do feel like she was left hanging out there alone a little bit telling her story. And then we heard, you know, about all the stuff around her. But, you know, I just thought it was super interesting to hear about. Um, Laura, one thing I wanted to ask you about, about this kind of athlete. Here was somebody who was like a very accomplished downhill skier, mm-hmm. had a bunch of injuries. And there is that little thing where you're like, you come back, which, by the way, I don't know how Peekaboo Street kept doing it after all these catastrophic injuries and then hurtling mm-hmm. herself headfirst down the hill. But um, Kaylee had the other experience where she was just breaking a little bit involuntarily, so had to find another sport where she could hurdle herself down the hill without brakes because she's just steering, doesn't have any brakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um could you put yourself? I mean, you're a competitive person. I, I can almost imagine you with your equestrian <laughs> background putting yourself like at the front of a bobsled with just the steering capability uh, just so that you could stay in the game. Could you relate to that at all? Well, there is something to be said for that part of your personality where you you just want to win and you don't care how you win, but it sort of becomes all consuming. You know, if you're a competitive type A personality where you know, you just, you want to do that. I definitely probably would not be in the front of a bobsled. I'm just going to say I am afraid of heights and um, I've done those little things like the alpine slides and that's enough for me (laughs) (laughs) when you go down the alpine slide. And, you know, I think that just goes to sort of that heart of an athlete, Rebecca, that like, you know, this is a person that, you know, this is no longer going to work for me, but I've got to find another way to do that and to get onto that same sort of track down the mountain in a way where, um, you know, maybe I can do it if I'm in a neck brace or something. Toby, am I alone in wanting a spinoff podcast about ex-track and field athletes who become bobsled competitors? Yeah, Lolo Jones. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, I mean, I think there is this interesting thing about people who are former athletes, like college athletes in America in particular, who pick up a different sport to be in the Olympics. Because I remember like men's handball at one point I was like, I wonder if like if I ever had any chance to make an Olympic team, it would have to be something super, super obscure like men's handball. Mm. So it's like, I wonder who plays on the men's handball team for the U.S. And it's all these like former like small division one or division two basketball players. So it's all these guys who are just amazing athletes, but they haven't played much handball, you know, so they get killed by (laughs) by the European teams. But um yeah, it's it's an interesting. I mean, the Olympics. I have you ever seen like a gold medal, like an held actual one? gold medal? I don't think yeah. so. So there, there's a there's a, a woman we know who who won, I think two golds and a bronze uh, in rowing, and we were at a party at her house, and she she's going to show the kids the medals because the kids wanted to see them, and I was like, oh yeah, I'll go and check it out too. So I like hustled over to check it out, and it, it's cool, man. Like yeah. that's. It's it's such a symbol of like accomplishment, mm-hmm. and I think it's just one of those sort of universally recognized things that are just kind of cool. And I think he's was, saying it's it cooler nice than a regional it. Emmy, is what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. No, I'm not making any kind. <laughs> no, of, no, no. People love those too. I think I think it would be cool actually, and I'm just going to throw this out there as an idea for anyone who might be listening to do a podcast about athletes who change sports so they can keep mm-hmm. competing. I was thinking about this when I was watching Cheer Two about Coach Vontae Johnson 
who couldn't do football anymore. So he joined cheer Mm -hmm. and was very successful. And now he's like coaching the national champion cheer team. It it is a very, very interesting thing to look at. And I do think there's something there. What about curling? Should people, (laughs) you know, oh, I can't play basketball anymore. So I'm going to get a broom and a rock. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we know you can't sweep. So like, Having explosive leaping is going to be that helpful in curling. Yeah. <laughs> explosive diarrhea. Or maybe, maybe it could be. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's a curling league somewhere in Massachusetts where you can go train that's not too far from us. Train? Train. You can train to be curling. Yeah, yes. you can yeah. train for curling. Kevin. Kevin, I mean, it's I a think sport. Don't be so, like, <laughs> it could be our don't new be activity. So snobby. Uh, hey. I had a friend who owned a warehouse that was empty for a while. I was like, you've got to flood it. And then we'll just make a curling club. There awesome. are four of us, guys. We could oh do it. We could. Be, be mixed doubles. Yes. Or mixed quadruples Let's or whatever it would be. That'd be it. awesome. That's Let's represent gonna, our nation. That's going to be our thing. All right. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the new podcast, Torched? It's about scandals at the Olympics. It is very timely indeed. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Torched? This is a tough one. I I mean, I think this is very timely. I think this is well done in terms that we have good production. We have good guests. For me, I just, I felt like there wasn't enough. I'm going to go thumb sideways. And it's not that there was anything particularly wrong with it, but I just felt like this was just like a podcast version of what I watch when I'm watching the Olympics and I'm seeing the recap of things that have happened in past Olympic games, which is what happens every year. So if you're somebody that's like an Olympic fanatic, and I can't lie, I I kind of am in a way that I, I love watching the Winter Olympics. It's like one of my favorite things to do. But if you're somebody that loves the history of the Olympics, you know, watching all of those recap reels and reliving everything, you're going to like this podcast. For me, I just felt like there wasn't enough of a new hook. And and maybe it's that I was waiting for like Olympic crime, not necessarily just Olympic, like falling from grace episodes. Um, so some sideways, a little bit up. Um, that's where I'm going with this. Toby Ball. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a thumbs up. I, 
I didn't like the first one. So my recommendation would be to skip that. And if you like the other ones, you can go back and listen to it. But I wouldn't listen to that and then be discouraged. I think once, you know, the second, third, and fourth episodes, I thought were all really strong. I think Molly does a good job of sort of identifying sort of an interesting issue that kind of came up in some way during the Olympics and then having the right person to interview. And they're essentially, you know, it's an interview podcast with some added stuff, but she's, she's a very good interviewer, you know, being a former like top level athlete. I, I think she is pretty insightful in talking to these people. And I thought the stories were good and it shows like what, jerks we were back in the 80s and early 90s about certain things uh so yeah i definitely give it a listen kevin flynn i'm gonna go thumbs up it's a mild thumbs up i think that one of the reasons we don't do anthology podcasts these weekly ones where every show is different every episode is different is because that they can sometimes be really uneven you might have a great show about one topic and then a, a mediocre one about a second topic i i'll say that the Four episodes that I've heard uh, pretty much, you know, sort of on par with one another. The host is good. The topic is timely. And I think that, you know, if you're not a fan of the Olympics, you may, or sports, you may not find these uh, stories terribly interesting. But uh, I think that production wise, it's done very well. Yeah, I'm going to give this podcast a thumbs up. And here's why I really like Molly Bloom. And I actually want to hear more Molly Bloom. I would actually like a podcast, like a um, an interview style podcast where Molly Bloom interviews people who are as driven as Molly Bloom is, because Molly Bloom is really driven and interesting. And when you hear her with Greg Louganis, I actually would love to hear a podcast where she does episodes like that with people in sports and entertainment or like fields that are sort of like in her lane like that. I don't care if it's all sports. Like, she's great. She's really, really interesting. Um, and in the parts in the writing where I feel like it's, like, I really hear her voice, where I feel like maybe, like, some of the writing is hers. Like, I, I really like those parts a lot. This podcast is not great, but the parts that are good are quite good. So I'm giving it a thumbs up. I think that the choice of the basketball episode as the first episode was a mistake, it tries to do too much. It should have either done way less or tried to do way more. I would have gone with the way less. I would have just been the clean basketball story. I would have said at the beginning, yes, this was the Olympics where that happened, but that's not what we're talking about and just like encapsulized it. And I would have done fewer sources, a much cleaner story, and then really kind of delved into what actually was behind what happened with the officials rather than just dropping that in as little details. So that being said, that was a mistake to make it the first episode. The Greg Luganus one should have been the first episode. That episode was freaking awesome. Uneven, yes. Molly Bloom is fantastic. So for that reason, I'm giving it a thumbs up. All right, so we should probably end it there. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? Um, we have a Dog of the Week this week. And, and this... Uh, Rebecca, this is your dream. Hold on, I gotta Ooh, adjust my levels I can't here. Wait, this story, like I just, I love it so much, and I just want to say before I tell you what happened, who wouldn't do this? I mean, dogs, people, anybody. Stranded dog lured to safety by sausage dangling from a drone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this is from CNN. Volunteers have rescued a runaway dog from dangerous mudflats by luring her to safety with freshly cooked sausages. Tied to a drone. Perfect. 
Millie, a rescue dog, slipped her collar and went missing on January 13th while out for a walk in Hampshire, southern England. They were alerted by the worried owner and the volunteer organization Den Mead Drone Search and Rescue set up a drone to track Millie. After covering a large distance, the dog became stranded on mud flats and the volunteer people were like, hey, we're going to go out on foot. It was too difficult. They decided, let's hang some sausage from a drone. Nice. And lo and behold, Millie is home safely. Who doesn't like to hang some sausage? One of the guys, as a last resort, said, hey, this is a last resort. Let's try some sausage. Yes. And that was day three. She'd been on the mud flats for two days. And lo and behold, the sausages were obviously very tasty. And Millie began sniffing, trying to catch it. And was very hungry and almost took the drone down when she got about half the sausage. I just, I love this story so much. I can't love this story anymore. So when Toby goes missing, we're going to hang a sausage from a drone. Yep. And we're going to get him back out of the wilds of Durham. I will say that a sausage doesn't have to be particularly tasty to lure a dog back. You could probably hang like a rotten sausage from a drone and it would probably still lure a dog You'd have to hang one of those hamburgers from Lexi's to get Toby to come out. Those are good burgers. Yeah, Yeah, maybe a shake. All right. So, Laura Bricker, if folks want to uh, reach out to you on Twitter and ask you for, I don't know, links to that article about those sausages hanging from the drone. I see what I did there. How can they find you on Twitter to reach out? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And tell me, ball folks want to say hello to you, maybe send you a wave, maybe see some pictures of your nephew dog, Clancy. How can they find you on Twitter? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to say hi to you, how can they find you on Twitter? Say hi at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredible group at Crime Writers On, our Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. We have the Crime Writers On after show right now. Plus our other shows, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive book club podcast our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the patient and wonderful olivia burdett the executive producer of this program is the gold medal winning kevin flynn this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in bay st louis mississippi studio otherwise known as studio c the closet in our new hampshire basement where we have been training to be the first co-ed four-person bobsled team i steer No, you don't. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Told large. Sorry. Sorry. Flynn. Wow. Toby's face. Toby looks like he was fleeced by Robert Fleegar right before this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If you think that sounded bad, wait till you smell it.
Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.